0: Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back, guys. I'm back with Claudine, and we're continuing our lesson on the Mona Lisa Claudine has discovered so much information about this beautiful painting and we're continuing where we left off last time today. So I hope you're following along. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go back one and check it out. And this is part two.
1: Yeah. So last week we left off with the theft itself and what happened, but now we're going to go to the point of right after the, the theft and what happened to her and how we found her. Cause Spoiler alert, obviously the Louvre gets her back. Unless you're one of the people that thinks there's a conspiracy behind it.
0: But (laughs) (laughs) we could jump on that (laughs) bandway.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'll cover that in one of the ones we'll do um, in the next few weeks. I will talk about some of that stuff. And I found something really interesting of exactly why people think that, a specific moment. But we'll talk about that another day. But 1913, so 28 months After the Mona Lisa was stolen, she actually finally was found. so, but for those 28 months, Mona Lisa was stuffed into a closet um, without the adoration of a thousand people a day. And she was in this teeny tiny apartment that was not far from the Canal Saint-Martin. So for all of 1912 and into 1913, Vincenzo Perugio, who's our Italian gentleman that stole her, went on with his life, although he did not return to his job, of course. He stayed quiet and close to home while the world wondered where the Mona Lisa was. Um, The smart crooks all over the world use the the theft as their benefit. Some of them, even this one guy even employed a copyist that went and created 10 versions of the Mona Lisa. And then this uh, gentleman would go and sell it to sell her to very rich people because it was kind of a perfect crime because nobody could say and admit they had the Mona Lisa. So he's selling it to, you know, somebody for like, you know, a million dollars and this, you know, rich guy of some, that owns some bank can't go around and say, "Well, guess what? I have the Mona Lisa," because then he'd be arrested.
0: Yeah, that that wouldn't have worked out so well for him. <laughs> so this,
1: so there was people making money off of it because they would, they were saying they were selling the Mona Lisa, uh, but in the winter of 1912, uh, Perugio left the Mona Lisa in his apartment in a box, slid it under the stove. Thankfully, he wasn't using the stove. The amount of times that I'll tell you, too, the, the conditions that she's been kept in over the years until she finally got back to the Louvre, has, it. it's amazing that she's still in one piece. Uh, but Perugio made a quick trip over to London to see an art dealer named Josephine, uh, Joseph, not Josephine, Joseph Devine. Um, he is hailed to this day as the individual that kind of brokered getting your Euro- European art to the wealthy Americans more than anyone else. Uh, but when this short uh, little Perugio, who was only five foot three, shorter than Napoleon, he went into his uh, gallery in London and s- told him that he had the Mona Lisa and that he was going to sell it. Duveen basically laughed at him and told him to get out of the gallery. And so Perugio was rather upset of that, returned to Paris um, and Lisa that was in her tomb underneath the stove and waited again for another year before he did anything else.
0: Smart man.
1: Smart man. So on November 29th, 1913, Vincenzo appeared again. This time he sent a letter to a gentleman named Alfredo Giri, who is an art dealer in Florence. He stated in this letter, and the exact words were, he has the stolen work of Leonardo in is in my possession. It seems to belong to Italy as the painter was an Italian. My dream is to give her back the masterpiece to the land from where it came. And he signed the letter, Leonard. Interesting. Not Leonardo, but just Basically, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard. Gary was skeptical at best, but he contacted Giovanni um, Poggi, who was a curator, and then also the Corridor Risi, who was a director of the Fine Arts of Uffizi. So the, both these gentlemen were at the Uffizi. And at first, they thought there's another crackpot doing this, but they decided they didn't have anything to lose. So they responded to the letter and set up a meeting. For December 22nd in Milan, um, Leonard decided he didn't want to wait any longer. And he arrived in Florence on Wednesday, December 10th, 1913. So, you know, basically 110 years ago last month, he walked into Jerry's shop on the Via Borgo um, and said that his he was there. His name was Leonard Vincenzo, he introduced himself and asked the owner if he was interested in seeing the painting. And of course, Jerry was a little surprised that he was there. He didn't think he was going to be meeting him for another two weeks. So but two hours later, Jerry called um, Poggi from the Uffizi. And before you knew it, the two men were in Perugio's apartment or not an apartment, but a teeny tiny hotel room on the third floor. Um, the uh, hotel is still there in existence. And it was very close to the uh, Ponte Vecchio there in Florence. He went in there and they took him out he, Perugio had created this crate with a false bottom. So it was a pretty good sized box. I mean, you know, the Mona Lisa is small, but she's not, you know, the size of a notebook paper, but he had this crate built and then she slid in the bottom of it. And there was a box, basically a false top on it. That ba- so she just slid in there and he had it filled up with his dirty clothes. He had a mandolin in there, tools, everything, paint brushes, all the stuff he just tossed in over the Mona Lisa. That's crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, there was a piece of wood in between them, but when the director saw it, he just about died seeing that all this stuff. I mean, because if you have tools and paint, you also have like, there's fumes and there's things that kind of could come through and leach through the wood anyway. But Vincenzo said he wanted 500,000 lira, which is today it's the equivalent of more than 2.4 million dollars. Um, the two agreed and said, let him know, um, that they needed to take it to the Uffizi to have it looked at, to make sure it was actually genuine, but they knew on the back when they looked at it, they saw the code on the back. That is the number, um, the inventory number for the Louvre. So when they saw that, and that wasn't really out as public knowledge, they were like, okay, this is the real deal. So they went to the Uffizi and Perugio went with him. And when they were there, he they told uh Perugio to take the painting back and to keep it with him, and they would come by shortly and bring him the money. So of course, Perugio goes back to the uh it was a Hotel Albergo Tripoli, the front desk, uh, when they when he was they were walking out, the front desk stopped them. And because the front desk thought when they saw them carrying a painting that they he had stolen something out of the hotel room. So technically the security at this teeny tiny <laughs> no-tell motel in Florence was better <laughs> than the security of the Louvre <laughs> because they actually stopped that. him and said like, you can't take our painting. What are you doing? And then they said, you know, they said, no, we work for the Uffizi. This is a painting we brought. And so when he went to, when he left to go back to the hotel, With the painting, of course, Jerry and Pogi called the police. And so by the time Vincenzo got back and laid down to go take a quick little nap, the police were banging on his door and arrived and woke him up and arrested him and took the painting. And we have her. We have her. So considering that the Mona Lisa had been in this 28 months, been stored um, under a stove, in a closet, and then in a crate, she was actually in pretty good shape. She had a small mark on her cheek and a scratch just over her left so- her shoulder. In the 15th century, when um, Leonardo was creating the painting, a crack developed at the very top of it, kind of just as you're looking at it to the left of her part. And I will post um, pictures of this mm-hmm on my website and you can see that it is there is still that crack that's there. Oh. So on the back of it they put two butterfly joints to kind of hold it together. They put um some canvas on there and then these butterfly joints. Well, while Perugio had it, one of those butterfly joints disappeared. The funny fact of that is is that later when they fixed that, the wood that they put on there as this joint actually had teeny tiny insects in it and it began to infect the painting.
0: Oh, so there was some damage
1: yeah because she's made of she's wood she's painted on wood which was at the time and we'll go into all of those little fun specifics another time but it is kind of interesting that you know basically because she was stolen um they it, it actually started to uh, ruin her before they figured that out <laughs> but after the news quickly spread she'd finally been recovered the french officials and the louvre director and the curator came directly to florence and as a sign of appreciation the mona lisa continued a short staycation in italy first she did this display to the uffizi gallery um where she remained for five days and she was placed in a gold gilded frame during that brief period um the mona lisa was set up between the da vinci's annunciation and the adoration of the magi that's there at the uffizi um and if you have um not been there it is pretty amazing i went in 2016 my first trip to europe after coming to paris and then i was in italy and i decided i did not love it and i was going back to paris but now i really want to go back and go to this exhibit or go to the museum because since then of course i became obsessed with art and now i want to go back and see it again and i could see where she was placed in between
0: I mean, I think it's just so crazy. This guy was just chilling with Mona, letting the bugs get to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy.
1: But thousands of people lined up every day to catch a glimpse of her. Before she left for Rome, she went to Rome for a private viewing with King Victor Emmanuel. For five days to Christmas, she resided at the Borghese Gallery, then onto Milan to the um, Brera Museum which was her last stop in Italy. It's kind of funny and fitting that she spent that many days at the Brer Museum because that museum was actually created under Napoleon because of his looting of art. <laughs> and that's why he stole her. He stole her because he thought Napoleon had taken her. The collection was gathered as town official tried to save things from churches before Napoleon arrived um, in the beginning, at the end of the 18th century. In 1809, Eugène de Beauharnais, who was a son, of Josephine, and the viceroy to Italy under his stepdad, Napoleon, who was asked to create this museum and inaugurate on the emperor's birthday, August 15th, 1809. So it's kind of funny that uh, the Mona Lisa is displayed there when that's exactly why Vincenzo thought she was taken. And then finally, on December 30th, she left Italy to come home. And at 3 a.m. on that final day of the year, on December 31st, she crossed the border into France. And 11 hours later, she arrived at the Gare de Lyon. All I have to say about that is thank God we have the TGV now because 11 hours <laughs> Seriously? from the border of France to the Gare de Lyon is insane. That just no way. But hundreds of people were waiting in the station to welcome her home. Her final destination was delayed a bit when she first stopped at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts that's on Rue Bonaparte. She went for a private viewing for art students and officials for three days by special invitation. Only the elite of Paris were able to see her. And a gal that we've talked about before that wrote a wonderful book called Claudine. The writer Colette was sent there to report on it and she returned and said that It was now the seeing the most famous woman in the world. And she remarked that it was a sea of cameras and the air smelled like perfume because it was the place to be in Paris those first few days of 1914 to see her.
0: Gosh. And now we have all our trinkets and magnets and keychains and And anything you could ever want.
1: And so at 10 a.m. on January 4th, the doors of the Louvre opened once again. And now the painting that had returned was now has become an icon. So for hours, more than 15,000 people lined up to see her monumental return to the wall. She was placed once again in her secure frame that Perugio released her from. And she was put back on the same spot of the Salon Carré on the north wall. But she would not stay for very long because it's 1914. So it's 110 years ago this month is when she returned. The funny thing is, is that that day, they said that 15,000 people lined up and how that was record-breaking. Now, they sell 30,000 tickets a day. And the last week of December, that was sold out every day for three weeks in advance. Holy cow. It's also the size of the Louvre of 1914 to 2024 is much different. But still, it's funny to think 15,000. And now, now... Of those 30,000 people that come every single day, 85% of them come to see the Mona Lisa.
0: I mean, yeah. Anytime you ask people when they're visiting Paris, they're like, yeah, we got to go. It just kind of feels like a job they don't even want to do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when I do tours of, you know, when I'm doing
1: tours of the Louvre, because all my tours are custom. So it's, you know, whatever anybody wants to see. And, you know, a lot of times it's, they just want to see the big things and the Mona Lisa. I had one day, I had a gal that said she, they took their granddaughter and she just, the granddaughter only wanted to see the Mona Lisa. So I spent an hour and a half in the room with the Mona Lisa telling her all about it. But sometimes there's some people that are saying we want to see everything but not the Mona Lisa. We've seen it before. And that's that's kind of what I want to do with these episodes is that that's kind of how I always looked at her too. But now with everything we're going to kind of tell you about over these special episodes, hopefully you kind of look at her a little differently. You don't get the chance to really go in and appreciate her like you would maybe want to because it is this just chaotic, you know s show we'll call it but it is it's still hopefully this makes you think that it's there's much more to her than you know the nightmare that comes along with her but it is uh it is you know everybody kind of wants to see her but most people again they don't know why
0: they don't know why they're supposed to see her or yeah, check it off the it's, list. it's kind of funny that's like my new thing to ask clients is like why are you going to see her do you even know why and now you do <laughs> and now you do so She came back in. She was finally back there on
1: January 4th, 1914. 44 years before that, in 1870, during the Siege of Prussia, the Louvre officials moved out many of the precious pieces of art. We did a whole episode um, about the, how they saved the Louvre and all the art, specifically about World War II. Um, but they, that World War II was not the first time they did that. So the first time they did it was Siege of Prussia. The Mona Lisa was quietly moved out of Paris, along with 360 other paintings to the Arsenal of Brest. On September 1st, 1870, in case number 11, on the second convoy the left by train from the Montparnasse station, the Mona Lisa left. She didn't even make it into the first convoy. That's his 1870s prior, obviously, to the theft. Um, at the time, Mona Lisa wasn't as famous and didn't even wore it the first convoy, which the other paintings that Leonardo did were in the first convoy, but the Mona Lisa was in the second convoy. On August 11th, 1914, so just eight months after she's returned to the Louvre, France declared war on Austria and the entry into the Great War began. At the end of August, as the Germans entered Paris, the clock was ticking and workers quickly removed paintings from their frames and stretchers. The treasures of the Louvre would leave with the protection. Um, And this time, Lisa was on the move again, leaving the Louvre. This time under (laughs) actual Louvre control um, and very, very tight security. On September 1st, 1914, so 44 years to the day that when she left to go to Brest, she was placed in a, her very own red satin lined crate. She was driven out of Paris towards Bordeaux, later Toulouse, where she remained until the end of 1918. Um, her biggest adventure was World War II when she left Paris, not once but twice. The first time in September 1938 as Hitler invaded um Student land, and then she ventured to Chambord for a few weeks before coming back to the Louvre for 11 months. But it was in the summer of 1939 when it was clear that Hitler intended to capture as much art as he could. The Louvre acted quickly. She was once again placed in her satin line crate and she was tied to an ambulance gurney placed into a special truck that was hermetically sealed. She was one of the first pieces to leave the Louvre on August 29th, 1939. It is rather odd that all three of these exodus all happened basically around the same exact date. Very strange. Those are things I noticed. But when she arrived in Chambord, the guard that was placed inside to protect her was unconscious because of the lack of oxygen, because it was hermetically sealed. He couldn't breathe, but he lived and the Mona Lisa was safe.
0: The most important thing is Mona Lisa was okay, you know. She was okay, but with this, if
1: you have not read um, the book "Saving the Mona Lisa," which is is about all of the art at the Louvre um, being saved during World War II, or and I will also put a link to that episode we did last year because I think it's one of my favorites too. But the curator, André Chanson, with his wife, who was the archivist of the Louvre, her name was Lucy Mazrick. They traveled to Chambord with their 12-year-old daughter, a woman named Frédérique Ebran She watched over the famous lady during the war, and Lucy... Um, remembers the mother, remembers visiting the Mona Lisa in 1914 at just 14 years old. And she said she had a hard time seeing over all of the people because the crowd was so dense. Um, And now she had a view any art lover would dream of because her daughter would talk. And she has been on um, this one documentary that's my favorite that I think I've watched the first time like 15 years ago. And that's when I became obsessed with Rose Vallon. But it's called The Rape of Europa. It's an amazing documentary. You might be able to find it on um, Amazon. But Frederic is in there. She grew up to be an actress and a writer. um, And she has been used in many of these documentaries, talking about it and saying how every once in a while, they pull her out of uh, this armoire and open her up and pull the red satin back to see the smile of the Mona Lisa, which is just insane to think of. Um, And while I was looking this up, um, Frederic she just passed away. In September of 2022, and she was something like, you know, 90 years old or so. But it was kind of sad when I saw it because I see her. I've seen her in these episodes so many times. Um, Lisa and the Chanson family moved five times before returning on June 17th, 1945, to the Louvre. And when she came back, the Mona Lisa then moved to the Grand Gallery.
0: Where she now resides. Well, she's just right off of the Grand
1: Gallery, but she is, and I've even done where I could even tell you all the places in the Louvre that she's been. That's how deeply I have gone down the Mona Lisa rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, I feel like you can make like a board game with all the research you have. I pretty much could. And I I'm, it's, it's kind
1: of gotten crazy. I'm at a point now that he needs to stop researching her. I have now, I used to go in the Louvre and, you know, you'd go, when you walk out the loo, there's two gift shops. The one on the left as you're walking out is the one I get in trouble with because that says all the books on the up, on the upper level, but it has all the nicer things. Like, you know, you could buy jewelry that's inspired by pieces of the loo. And on the right, it's kind of all the trinket things like the Mona Lisa on your umbrella, a Rubik's cube, a pair of socks, like anything you'd want the Mona Lisa. And I used to always walk by there and be like, ugh, horrible. I went in the other day so I could get one of the little you know, paper, um, like file folders so I could keep all my maps I've been making about the Mona Lisa. And I was like, I have now gone in there and bought a pair of socks with the Mona Lisa on it.
0: I love that for you. <laughs> I know. Now
1: I have become yet another one that is like, oh, now I need to have all the things with the Mona Lisa on it. And as you should. <laughs> yeah, but next week we will talk about the people behind the Mona Lisa So the story of Vincenzo and the story of Lisa herself and the gentleman that painted her.
0: Well, I can't wait. I'm learning so much, guys. We will all be experts on the Mona Lisa by the end of this series. And make sure you head over to ClaudineHemingway.com to learn more and tune in next week. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, claudinehemingway.com.